Welcome to the Want to Learn Podcast. I'm your host, Franz Tapon. And this episode is another Ask Me Anything episode where I have my wife, Rejoice Tapon, in the mix. And she always brings a fresh perspective. We talk about some of the questions that we get asked by some of my Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash ftapon. One of them was a guy named Yida who has asked me several questions and I want to answer them clearly about the book because he's actually read some of the preview chapters that you can only get by becoming a patron. So he has checked out the chapters and bombards me with a bunch of questions about Africa and how the book is progressing. So you want to enjoy that. Also, Rejoice reveals a secret part of the book that hasn't been written yet, which is how she got into a prison in Zimbabwe and that whole story. Why did she end up in prison in Zimbabwe? And we talk about other aspects about Africa and other questions that people may have. Enjoy this episode. Bye. And one of them is from Yida, who says, I'm a geography and urban studies student in Vancouver, so I'm interested in everything about different countries and cities. I haven't been to Africa yet, but Lagos, Nigeria is on my list. I wonder how the Echo Atlantic Urban Project will turn out because it looks like another Dubai. Now rejoice, you have lived a bit of your life in, actually half your life in Nigeria, but Lagos is a world away from where you were. You were in Borno State, which is the northeast corner. Now, had you ever heard of the Echo Atlantic Project? Nope. Okay. No. So... So you haven't heard zero? No, I haven't heard. And when I was in Nigeria, I was in a village anyway. So even if that Echo Atlantic project existed, I wouldn't have heard of it. Okay. What it is is that they're basically reclaiming some of the lagoon or the seaside there. They're building a big barrier against the sea. And they are trying to create a new metropolis right next to Lagos, right next to VI, Victoria Island. And it's going to be kind of like, you know, she was saying, Yida was saying, I suppose it's a she, um, that it's going to be like another Dubai. What do you think? It's going to take a long time. Yeah. It's not going to happen in this century. No, actually, see, they're going to, they're actually visioning. I mean, this is the, 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 the promising side of Africa. I mean, I think at Rejoice, you're probably more cynical than I am about the future of Africa. Yes. Why is that? Because Africa will always be lagging behind other societies. We will continue, of course, to improve and become better than what we are today, but we're just going to be behind everybody else. Yes, but that could still be improving. I mean, that's that's still a good thing. And and the Lagos project is a a, a step in the right direction, I think. Um, yeah, well, the Lagos project is a very good vision, but the problem is there is going to be a lot of problems doing that because people are just corrupt all over, mm-hmm. you know. This is a good plan, but it's going to be hard to complete it because the Nigerians' authorities will want whoever it is that is going to be planning all this thing to be paying them, even though when everything is done, it will benefit all the society. Mm-hmm. They're still going to try to 
get back money, corruption, give me this, give me that before I will allow you to build the road here, before I will allow you to build a skyscraper, you have to give money. Mm. And so it's just going to take a long time to finish it because you get tired paying people mm-hmm. money when in the end the project will benefit also them and their children. Hey, Yida just joined us online. She's the one I I think it's a I think Yida is a she. And she says, hello, Francis. I just started reading the chapters from your book and sent you an email. In fact, I did get that email. Yida, I will respond to some of the questions right here. One of the things that Yida also said is, have you considered making an audio book for Audible if it is too long to be a single book? Yes, I am definitely going to make an audio book. In fact, one of the things that really I have audio books already for the hike your own hike. But unfortunately, I recorded it at a wrong quality level, just underneath the threshold that they needed. So I can't even use, I'm going to have to re-record it at a higher audio level. And doing an audiobook is painful. You know, Alice and I have a profound respect for newscasters who read teleprompters. You think that reading a teleprompter is easy. Well, when I read my audiobook, I realized how difficult this is. It is really incredibly hard. You have to just... It's so easy to make a, uh, an error every five, ten sentences, and that's a lot of errors. And so, hats off. You think it's easy to be on CNN and just read teleprompters or be the President of the United States and read teleprompters? It's not. It's easy to make errors, too, by the way. Have you ever tried to do this, Rejoice? No. Okay. Um, so, any questions that... Uh, you, oh, it's okay. I'm a guy. So, Yida is actually a guy. Okay, well, I'm sorry. Um, so, Yida... Uh, had some comments, some very interesting comments. And I want to share some of them. General thoughts about the the hidden Africa. Well, he calls it the hidden Africa. It's the unseen Africa. Okay, he says, um, one of the things that Patreons have is that they have access to the chapters as I'm writing them. And he asked about the blue sections. What is it all about? I have some sections in the book that are blue because these are sections I probably will delete. I just have them there just in case for one last look, take a look at it and say, oh, no, no. Don't you can't delete that? Please don't delete that. Um, and so he, uh, he says, Yida says, I personally look forward to reading about Nigeria, the two Congos, and Zimbabwe, as you were probably there during the last period of the Mugabe regime. And you're absolutely right, I was there during his uh, penultimate year. Uh, wh- you didn't get to go to Zimbabwe, I was in prison in Zimbabwe, right. <laughs> So I mean, sorry, I meant that you didn't get the tour of Zimbabwe. You got the tour of the prison. Yeah, I got the tour of the prison in Zimbabwe. So, and I also ate at a restaurant in the Harare before I went to. Anyway, it doesn't. I was in Zimbabwe during Mugabe. So that's yeah. <laughs> so let's tease the audience a little bit by this: why you were in prison in hmm. Zimbabwe? Hmm. Oh God! Come on. Well, I was, Thousands of people listening. I was following Francis. What an idiot. <laughs> yeah. I left my warm, comfy bed and took a journey to join Francis in South Africa. But it started, I wanted to go legally to, Z- to South Africa. I applied for visa the first time they rejected. And I asked why. I couldn't meet the ambassador because I'm not important enough to meet the ambassador. So I didn't get an explanation and they took my money. That pissed me off. And then I applied for a transit visa to go to, um, what's the name of that small island in South Africa where we're supposed to meet? Lesotho. Lesotho. But the problem with going to Lesotho is I will need to change planes. And uh, South Africa made the, the transit like a domestic. 
So I have to check through immigration of South Africa before I can change plans. And South Africa refused me a transit visa. I ask, why? I need to know, what am I doing wrong? Did I not bring a paper or something? I didn't get an answer. So I said, okay, fuck it. I still will go to South Africa. I did twice to go legally. You refuse. I'm going to go illegally. I took a bus from Cameroon, went to Congo, and then the first Congo, I don't know if it's the, uh, the, Republic, the of Republic of Congo. From there, I took a canoe cross into the DRC. It's not a canoe. You took a boat. Yeah, a boat. Okay, mm-hmm. a boat into the DRC. Spent some days yeah, in from, DRC. From Brazzaville to Kinshasa. Yeah, from Brazzaville to Kinshasa. And from there... The two closest capitals in the world. <laughs> yeah. They are. Yeah. yeah. And from there, I took, uh, I took a plane from Kinshasa to... Uh, I don't remember the name of the uh, town. Lumumbashi. Lumumbashi, yeah, is the bordering town with uh, Congo. It's not border, and but it's kind of close to border. Okay, well, right. you say that's it. So. And then from there, you took a bus that was going. You paid off a fixer. Going to Zambia, then Zimbabwe, then to South Africa. Right. Yeah, I had to pay bribe money for somebody to sneak me into South Africa. I paid the driver, and so he. But I got caught at the border. That's right. She got caught at the border. Like and I was literally a prison. few meters away, a few steps away from the South African border. Had she just crossed that threshold, she would have been somewhat free anyway. <laughs> and instead she went to prison. And then I'll recount that whole story in the book. So uh, hang on for that. Okay. So speaking about the book, um, one of the things that... Uh, he says, are you going to add lessons we can learn and take away points from any of the countries? Yes and no. Like, if you had read The Hidden Europe, you'll see at the end of every chapter, which is based on a country, I put takeaways or lessons learned from Slovakia, from Lithuania, from Latvia, from Russia, whatever. And each country has it. Because Africa has 54 countries, and I didn't want to make the lessons too trite, I wanted to make sure that there was some meaning behind it. I didn't just want to signal out such lessons as I did with the hidden Europe. So for the unseen Africa, there will be lessons, takeaways, things that I think that some African countries or regions do, or the whole continent does better than we do in the United States and, and things that we can learn from them. And so and also just general takeaway points, things that may not be good. They might be bad or they might be neutral. They're just things to, to know about the continent. What, what comes to mind, Rejoice, for you? Things that, some big takeaways from your 31 countries that you visited. That, oh boy. Well, think about it. Yeah, I'll think about it. Okay, so um, one of the comments that Yida said uh, about my initial chapters, my, my preliminary draft chapters, she said some, he said some of the chapters fell short, felt short, and I would have liked more detail, but I understand the space constraint. Thank you for understanding the space constraints. I would love to write a lot more about each country. There's a lot more I can say, but already now my agent is telling me my book is too fucking long. It's going to be a thousand pages if I don't cut it. And so in order to make it digestible, nobody's going to want to publish a book that is even 600 pages long. It's going to be very hard sell. Because, no, why don't they, because it costs a lot of money to do that and also because it is very hard to sell. And most people don't want to buy and read a book that big. 
So everybody likes a book that's around 300, 400 pages around that page or 250. To do that with 54 African countries, you're talking about five pages per country, which is not that much. So I have to really be succinct and unfortunately leave a lot of things out, unfortunately, or completely change the format of the book and just say, okay, I'm only going to talk about five of the 54 countries, which is also kind of too bad. Um, he says that, for example, there wasn't any discussion on Ghana being Africa's first independent country in 1957, followed by an introduction of the Kwame Nukmara and his legacy. Okay, now in Ghana, did I even write the chapter on Ghana? Yes, I guess I did. Yeah, it's so far away that I hadn't written about it. Um, that's a good point. I, it is important that it is Africa's, certainly sub-Sahara Africa, first independent country. I think, I think I could be wrong about this, but I think Libya might have been independent before Ghana. I'm not sure about that. But you're right. That is a very significant point, and I'm surprised I left it out, but I would, I, I'll double-check that if I did indeed leave out that significant fact out about Ghana. Now, uh, he also says there are, there, there are lots of good information from your conversations with locals and professional correspondences. Did you audio record any of the interviews and transcribe everything, or were they mostly paraphrasing from memory? Many research papers and academic books transcribes everything, but that is also due to the requirement by ethics department, which is different for your book project. Once again, a very sensitive and astute comment by Yida that I don't have the same bar and metric that many academic papers have. You don't have to transcribe and record everything. However, I did do a lot of interviews, of video interviews, and so I was able to capture the exact quote in the video. So there's that. Uh, but you're right. A lot of things were just casual conversations. I'm on the street. I'm not going to pull out a microphone in the middle of conversation. And here's the thing. When do you get the most juicy parts of a conversation? It's not when you're recording them, right? It's when you're out there having a drink in a bar. Unexpected. Unexpected. And it's quiet. And you're just alone, one-on-one. -on -one. Nobody else is listening, right? Yeah. That's, that's when everybody spills the beans of what Africa is really like, right? That's when all of a sudden they tell you what really is going on. When there's no cameras rolling, when there's no microphones, that's when people share juicy little details. And is that, am I fair to say that, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> when your girlfriends get together and even when the men aren't out there, right? What do you yeah. guys say? What do you, give, give us a nugget. No, good things. <laughs> you're not going to tell us? No. <laughs> oh, you're terrible. <laughs> so, so, but what I would do is that I would, at the end of every day, not every day, but usually I would take notes and write down, these are some of the things that happened to me today. These are some of the interesting conversations and sometimes I would even type while the person's in front of me. So I would actually type some of their answers right in front of me if I felt comfortable enough with that person. So, and then lastly, sometimes when I am paraphrasing or grabbing it from memory, a lot of times I'll just use the person's first name. I won't use their last name. First of all, I may not know their last name, but second of all, it's a way to protect their identity. And what's important so much is not the exact word that they said, but more the essence of what they said, the meaning behind it, and the fact that I had some African that I was talking to saying basically that. So sometimes it's, it's the, message, the general message. And finally, for a lot of Africans, their native tongue might not be English or French, for example, the languages I'm most familiar with. 
And so they might be speaking in a broken, and if I quote them exactly, it will turn out to be uh, hard to read. Um, so I, I kind of paraphrase things. Okay, last thing is uh, most of the chapters really don't go into depth into politics and ideology of their leaders, but it would be informative for someone who would want to use your book as an African primer, almanac, or mini encyclopedia. In your Europe book, you also analyze different languages like Polish and Hungarian. Maybe you can introduce a couple of African languages as well. Yes, you're absolutely right, Ida. That's a very good comment. Um, again, it's a space constraint issue. Uh, Africa has a lot more languages than Europe. And there's about, I think, 650 languages in Africa, depending on how you count a language, but roughly over 600. And, but there are things like Fulfude, which you speak, and Hausa, which you speak. Both of them have over 20 million speakers. There's more speakers of Fulfude and there's more speakers of Hausa than there are Swedish speakers or Finnish speakers or Luxembourgish speakers and uh, or even probably even Dutch speakers. So these are significant languages on the global stage as far as just sheer numbers. Yep. And and that is something that... Uh, do you know how many Kanuri speakers they are? You speak Kanuri too, right? Yeah. So Rejoice speaks three African languages, Kanuri. Hausa uh, Fulfulde. Yeah. I don't know how many Kanuri speak. So let's say, how, how do you say table in Hausa? Table. Table? Like yeah. what kind of table? Like a table, like your table you eat on. Hmm. Although you guys eat do on the floor. Do we even have a, yeah, we, we a eat chair? How about floor. that? A chair is simple. Kujera. Kujera. That's for Hausa. Yeah, like it's a chair. It's a ku- Every chair, every table is called Kujera. So okay. it doesn't Kujera. matter if that's it's a dining Hausa. table. Right. Yeah. Right, right, right. That's true. That's because you call everything a lot. This is one <laughs> thing. It's like when we're with Rejoice, it's, it's oftentimes she'll point at a sofa and call it a chair, or she'll call a table a chair. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, that's not a chair. That's a table. That's in. And she's like, well, in Hausa, we call it everything a Kujera. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Kujera. Okay, so what about in Fulfurde? In Fulfurde. How do you say table? Oh, sorry, a chair? Like the a, chair you. Yeah, you sit like, on. Oh. It's Joe Engel. Huh? Joe Engel. <laughs> Joe Engel. <laughs> okay. And what about Kanuri? Do you remember? Mm, Kanuri is I, her I weakest. I remember. Anyway. Yeah, it's my weakest. But if I think about it, I would remember. So imagine if you told a Kanuri person to sit yeah. down in your chair and you're going to serve him some food. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. Thank you about it. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, and, and, and Yida just asked me also, did you try to learn or speak any African languages? Well, as we were just mentioning, Rejoice does speak three African languages, but not because she, you know, you had to. Why did you speak all these three languages? Just because that was the, the custom. You were in a border town a lot of your life. Yeah, well, you didn't have to make any effort. You just learn it. <laughs> right. It doesn't matter. You, because the customers in your restaurant, she was basically from the age of, since you were born, basically. Yeah, since you, I knew how to, to walk. Do some, yeah. <laughs> as, long as, as soon as you could start picking up a tray, yeah. you started working yeah. clean up. And clean. I started talking in Hausa, Fulfulde, and Kanuri. Yeah. I didn't go to school about to learn any of this language. It's just, I just, I don't know how, why we just speak it. Right, because uh, the customers, I think, and, and, the, and the, the community, it was a border town of, it was kind of a, not just border town, but it was a melting pot. It was a place where so many, there's a crisscrossing of a lot of cultures coming through. Yeah. What was the name of the town again? Kangarwa. Kangarwa. 
Right. And so, but m both Rejoice and I went to, spent a lot of time in Tanzania, and we learned very basic, very basic Swahili. Well, sorry, uh, the name of, um, not in Kanuri, in Fuful Dedder is to Jod Engel or Korowal. What's the difference? Hard to say. That's <laughs> hard to say. It's like <laughs> but that. normally we say korowal, hokkam korowal, like give me, like when you're cooking in seat. the kitchen, hmm. you want to sit down, so you tell the child, give me hokkam korowal, give me the, chair. the chair. Hmm. But if you want to put the food on the dining table, you also say, uh, put it on the same chair, but it's the dining table. You're referring it to the dining table. So the same thing is different thing. There you go. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and there are, there, the only other African language I know, when probably some people would consider it's not an African language, I really made a big effort for is Arabic, because Arabic is a world tongue, mil hundreds of millions of speakers, and so I felt that was worth learning. Um, in Madagascar, we learned very basic words of Malagasy because <laughs> yeah. they, we found that so many people didn't speak French. So we're very pragmatic about learning languages. If you're fluent in French and everybody around you speaks French, you're not really going to learn Kanuri or Hausa because you're getting by with English or French or whatever, and that's good enough, unless you're going to live there. But if you're visiting, you know, aside from saying what I you know, try to learn, like how to say Thank you in languages. That's always a good winner. But other than that, um, it's just way too many languages moving too frequently to make it worthwhile. But in, in Botswana and, and Madagascar, I noticed that people didn't speak one of the five major languages of Africa. And the five major languages are nearly half the countries, about 40, You forgot Tanzania. You said Botswana. Yeah, so, they speak Swahili, yeah. What, Tanzania? Right. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what's interesting about uh, t Tanzania is that it, very few people actually speak um, Any English. language except Swahili. Swahili is the dominant language. Yeah. They might speak other languages, we just don't even know. Yeah, we don't even know. But they don't speak English, which is theoretically their... They don't speak French either. No, they definitely so. don't speak French. <laughs> um, and so it's... it's uh, and, and, and that comes from this pride from their independence of saying we're going to have a national language, we're going to have a regional language. They really thought it was going to be ultimately a pan-African language, but in the end it was barely even a regional language because mm -hmm. the Kenyans kind of speak it, um, the Ugandans speak it even less. It's really just Tanzanians who are really the champions of Swahili. And so as a result, it really never took off. And there's a big price you pay because... The people of Tanzania have to learn the local language, the, sorry, their regional dialect, so whatever dialect their parents are talking, whatever, which is maybe only a couple, maybe a couple million speakers, that's it. And then they also have to learn Swahili, and the brain can only fit so many languages in, and they don't teach English as until you get to high school. That makes no sense. So you get into grammar school, you're learning Swahili, you're going through middle school, Swahili, and then suddenly you catapult into high school and they're taught in English. It's like, whoa. And of course, a lot of people don't even make it to high school. So uh, it's, it's, it's a tough thing because I understand the benefits of uniting an a Pan-African language. But when you sacrifice your globalized access, your globalization access, by not teaching people English or French for that matter, then you're kind of penalizing your 
people by not giving them a competitive edge. Because why? If you look at all the NGOs, all the companies, when they want to go to East Africa, they would much rather set up where? The places where people speak different languages apart from the Which one in particular? Instead of Tanzania, they go to? Kenya. Exactly. They go to Nairobi. Because in Nairobi, how many people speak English? A lot. Exactly. Almost everybody. Okay, so that's the end of the, the, the podcast because I got to go. But thank you so much for joining in and we will talk to you later. Bye. Bye. And that concludes this episode of the Wander Learn podcast where we explore travel technology and transformation. If you'd like to see the show notes with links to what we talked about, or if you'd like to comment on the show, or if you'd like to ask me a question, then go to wanderlearn.com and click on the latest episode. If you'd like to connect with me, just remember F Tapon. That's my first initial and my last name. F Tapon is the username I use on all social media. You can also get to my website by going to ftapon.com. Here's one last reason to remember F Tapon. If you like what I do and want to get rewarded for supporting my projects, then go to patreon.com slash, yep, you guessed it, F Tapon. That's where you can pick up some sweet rewards for as little as $1 a month. And remember, subscribing to the WanderLearn podcast helps, but downloading each episode helps even more. Please share the podcast, review it, and sign up for my newsletter at wanderlearn.com. This show was edited by Rejoice Tapon. The music was composed by Eric Stratman. This is Francis Tapon, encouraging you to wander and learn.